are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Let's turn to God's word. Greg is going to read for us this morning. We're in Mark chapter 7. Jesus honors a Syrophoenician woman's faith. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he could begin to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Thank you, Greg. Well, I missed you all last Sunday. We were up at Camp Shamanah as a family and had an absolutely amazing time. If you've been to camp, you know all those camp activities that are up there, and we tried as many as we could. And I would encourage you to, if you're not signed up yet for Y Church Family Camp, which is the end of this month, call up there and see if there's any space left. Try to get in. We also have a kids camp, and that'll be a, a week of regular Bible camp. And so if you want to send your kids or your grandkids, what an awesome place. For us as a family, it's a chance to unplug, connect with God, and have some fun together. The really cool thing was that now, here with a live stream, I got to catch up on worship after the fact. It was Monday, and I got to follow along with what you got to hear last Sunday from Reed Ministries. This opportunity that we have to equip the church in a place like Eurasia. And so I listened to the whole service, and I called Steve from Reed Ministries afterwards. And I wanted to share with you something that, that I didn't know that he passed along. He said, you know, we were just blown away by the response. And he said, beyond the financial gift that we gave as a church out of our benevolence fund, just random individuals and families out of the Y Church gave $2,000 to Reed Ministries last Sunday. So I thought that was incredible. It made me think, you know, who says that church takes summer break in Minnesota? We're here, and our mission continues. So here we are on a holiday weekend, but not just that. It's the 4th of July on a Sunday. 
which really seemed like a great opportunity to me. So later on in our service, we're going to actually pray on behalf of our country. What a privilege that is to pray for our people and ask for the Lord's help and mercy. Uh, So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first we have this pairing of stories from Mark chapter 7. This summer we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. And I have loved every week of it. I feel like every week there's something new to discover. Something I didn't see before. Something I never thought about. And I hope you experience that too. How you see God bringing specific things to your attention as we study His Word. Even speaking into the very things that you might be walking through in this season of your life. We see how right here in these pages he instructs and encourages and corrects. And so I come today and invite you to come along with a sense of anticipation on this holiday weekend. Looking to see what he'll say in his word. On this 4th of July, I've entitled our message, The Liberating Power of Jesus. The liberating power of Jesus. It's a phrase that has just been on my mind for probably two months, ever since I was on a phone call with Sam Stevens. Some of you will remember Sam's name from the India Gospel League and the Salem YMCA and the project that we did in 2020. So we're on a conference call, and Sam was speaking about the true purpose of the YMCA. Sam had been the deputy president of the World YMCA. And here's what he said. The true purpose of the why is to lead young people into the redemptive and liberating experience of a personal encounter with Jesus. That's quite the statement. If you know Sam, you're not surprised. To liberate. It's a word related to liberty, freedom. To liberate is to set free. And that's what we see Jesus do in both of these stories In Mark chapter 7. It's what we need him to do in our own life. We don't need more religion. We don't need more humanistic moralizing. We need the redemptive and liberating power of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. So let's look at this text together. These two passages. We could, of course, just looked at one of them. I was telling my wife, you know, Somehow I maybe get in over my head thinking we can look at two stories in one Sunday. We could have looked at one, but, you know, long ago in planning out this series, I thought there's something in both of these stories that we see side by side that underlines all the more this theme of Jesus as liberator. I'd like to look at both. We're going to spend more time on the first because there's more complexities there. But we're going to look at both and draw out two lessons from each of these stories. And together, they're going to show us what Mark desires to show us in his gospel. Who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. So story number one. The Syrophoenician woman. This is one of those stories that can be rather uncomfortable to read. And maybe makes us a little uneasy in our seats. You know, it's confusing. It looks like Jesus is dismissive. Like he's reluctant to help, even perhaps insulting toward this woman. It just doesn't gel with who we think Jesus is, and we don't know what to do with it. And yet we can get so caught up in the discomfort of it that we actually miss the point of the story. And so I want to address these things, and we're going to start by looking at the map together. 
Verse 24 says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. So this particular map tracks Jesus' movements in Mark 6, 7, and 8. So there's more there than we need. And at this point, he has left Gennesaret on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, that big lake like Malax. And we follow that big arrow up to the left, up to Tyre on the Mediterranean Sea. Now what this means is that Jesus is leaving behind the familiar Jewish territory of Galilee. And he's gone to a non-Jewish region. And so we you know, might hear that, Jewish, Gentile, what's the big deal, we might ask. Well, it's a huge deal. The racial tensions between Jewish and non-Jewish people are one of the most dominant themes in the entire Bible. And if we think that's odd or unrelatable, then probably we could just look in the mirror as a country and see that we have plenty on our own plates in that regard. Maybe the names are different, but there's nothing new under the sun. And the last place you would have ever expected to find the Jewish Messiah is in a place like Tyre. The Jewish historian Josephus, he called Tyre, this is a quote, notoriously our bitterest enemy in his history books. In the Old Testament, Tyre was this wealthy, godless enemy of Israel. And you would find whole chapters written about Tyre. Isaiah 23, Ezekiel 26, 27, 28. Three whole chapters right there. All recounting the atrocities of the Tyrians and prophesying against them. And at the time of Jesus, Galilee so down where Jesus came from, was kind of like the breadbasket of the country, of the region. And Tyre would plunder it for food. And so here's Jesus going to Tyre. I mean, to put it in our own terms and feel how striking this might be, imagine that you or I booked a trip to go to North Korea. You just didn't do this. What's a Jewish rabbi got to do with a place like Tyre? Well, he's up there, and a woman hears about it who has a little daughter who's possessed by a demon. And it says that she came and fell at Jesus' feet. And what I want to do is read the description for you of this woman and highlight some key terms. So verse 26. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So you know how baseball works, right? Kids, three strikes and you're out. Well, this woman has four strikes against her. First of all, she's a woman. And in their culture, women were second-class citizens. That's just the way it was. And a woman would never go up to a man who is not her relative and just start a conversation or ask him for something. So she's a woman. Secondly, she's a Greek Remember the whole Jewish-Gentile thing we just talked about. She's on the wrong side of that equation. She is not Jewish. She's Greek. Third, it says she hails from Syrian Phoenicia, which is yet another way of saying she's from the wrong side of the tracks. She was born and raised in that region of Tyre. And finally, she's got a problem. That's the last one that's underlined or highlighted. She has a terrible, shameful problem, and that is a daughter who's possessed by a demon. The proper Jewish response to that kind of 
condition would have been fear or disgust. So three strikes and you're out. This woman has four. Few of those who ever approached Jesus in the Gospels would have had as much against them as this woman. And yet here she has come and she's thrown herself at Jesus' feet. Now before we get to the difficult part, that exchange that happens, let's make sure we're clear on something here. Jesus is moving very deliberately outside of Jewish territory. At this point in Mark's gospel, he is going to non-Jewish people on the other side of the lake, up to Tyre, and this is just the beginning. By the time Jesus is done with this little road trip, he will have traveled 120 miles on foot outside of Israel. And that is telling us something. Jesus is seeking out non-Jewish people. He's going to do what the Old Testament always talked about, but the people of God forgot about. That they were to be a light to the nations. To be a blessing. Jesus is signaling something new here. That in Him, Jews and Gentiles, historically these people that had been apart, are going to be forged into one community of disciples. A multi-ethnic, global family of Christ called the church that we're part of today. So both Mark and Matthew tell us the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And though we read it, and we might be a little uncomfortable with what's going to happen here, neither one of them apparently is. And that's because they understood this story as nothing less than the full affirmation of Jesus' heart for the Gentile people. So here's the first lesson of the text, the first of four. Faith in Jesus is for anyone. Faith in Jesus is for anyone. I was at the mall this week for the first time in I don't know how long, you know, since before the pandemic. And we'd been out for dinner with an international YMCA leader who recently relocated to the Twin Cities. So it was my family and then this man and his wife. And after we'd finished the dinner appointment, we thought, let's run over to MOA. We were down that way for the dinner and we've been wanting to pick up a baseball cap for Esther's brother. So we thought, well, let's go to the mall and we'll go to Lids, see if we can find a hat. Well, the mall, especially the Mall of America, is full of interesting people. I walked around that place and I'm telling you, I must have been the most boring person there. You know, I need to like dye my hair, get some tattoos or something, apparently. But if you're not careful, you're walking around the mall and you might find this thought trying to creep its way into your mind that, man, these people are so weird. They're so different. And not in the positive sense. But I'm walking around the mall and I'm hearing this thought kind of knocking on the door. And I've got this passage in mind and I'm thinking, you know what? Jesus would have loved this place. He would have walked 120 miles around the mall, seeking people out and inviting them to follow him. Faith in Jesus is for anyone. Anyone. Is it for the seventh grade boy at soccer Vandenberg? Okay. Yeah. She teaches there. So. 
Is it for the cashier in the checkout aisle? Fred? Yeah. Is it for the neighbor who lives to your right and to your left? Is it for the Somali immigrant in Minneapolis? It's an invitation for anyone. I was on a Zoom call this week. How many of you have had too many Zoom calls over this last year? Yeah. So this was a good one, though. I was on a Zoom call with a guy from Cairo, Egypt. And he's in Cairo. And we're on this call. He's a young guy. He's in his 20s. And he's following Jesus in a place where Islam is the state religion. And there we are. We're finishing this call. And I can hear just the horns honking and the traffic outside. I mean, he's right in the city. We're finishing the call in prayer. And as my friend starts to pray, in that moment, the Muslim call to prayer kicks in on the public loudspeakers out in the city. And if you've been to the Middle East, you know what this sounds like. And the irony of that moment of praying with this young guy who's following Jesus in that context is something I'll never forget. The invitation to trust Jesus got all the way to him in Cairo in a non-Christian culture. And he said, yes. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anyone for whom faith in Jesus is impossible? Anyone that you or I might be tempted to overlook? And let's turn this inward for a moment. For some of us, maybe we have actually discounted ourselves to some degree. And so you're thinking, well, I wouldn't call myself a disciple. I mean, I'm just a guy who's trying to show up in church once in a while and live a good life. Or maybe it's shame that you have stacked up as a barrier. And you think, there's been too many mistakes, too many problems in my life. Jesus couldn't really want me to follow him. And I think the message of this story is the exact opposite. Four strikes? Who's counting? Faith in Jesus is for anyone. So now that that's clear, let's look at this challenging little dialogue. Verses 27 to 29. The woman's thrown herself at Jesus' feet, begging for her daughter's life. And he says, First let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So it's not a straightforward answer, isn't it? It's a parable. Jesus uses symbolism and figures of speech here. The children are the Jews. And Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And they did not mean it as a compliment. What Jesus is saying to her then in a vivid way is that the priority of his ministry is to the Jews. His focus is on Israel. What is debated is how Jesus said this and what his intent was. You know, depending on the tone of his voice, which we can't hear reading it off the page, depending on facial expressions, visual cues, Jesus may have said this ironically, you know, with a twinkle in his eye. Related to that idea, maybe he's a Jewish rabbi, maybe he's drawing her out like a wise teacher will engage a student, provoking her almost to make a superior argument against 
the foil of his reluctance. We might say in our vernacular, playing devil's advocate. Or maybe he's serious, but he's testing her faith. It's impossible for us to know. But it's also not necessary. The conclusion I come to, reading page after page of material on interpreting this passage, Jesus does not really need us to defend him. The whole thrust of this story is going to be on how he honors her faith and grants her request. So he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she's very quick. She's very witty. And she takes Jesus' reply, she takes his parable, and uses it to her own advantage. And she says, Lord. It's the only time Lord appears in the vocative case in the entire gospel, and it's from the Syrophoenician woman. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And I bet that this is a familiar little picture to many of us. Our dog at our house seems to patrol around the dining room table anytime there's a meal. You know, around the table, under the table, between people's legs. He's on the patrol. And as soon as a crumb hits the floor, he's like a vacuum cleaner. He's over there with his little snout right on the ground, and it's gone. And of course, the smaller the children are in your household, the bigger the crumbs and the scraps that the dog gets. So let's track what she's saying. She accepts Jesus' point about the priority of the Jews. That's where God chose to start in this redemption story. And she doesn't argue it. But at the same time, she says, Israel's privileges shouldn't keep others from enjoying the overflow. In other words, she's saying, we Gentiles maybe had to wait, but it doesn't mean we're excluded from the Lord's blessing. And her response is really remarkable. You know, because think about what we've been reading in Mark up to this point. Jesus has used bread as a metaphor before. And she understands it better than his own disciples. You remember the feeding of the 5,000? Those were 5,000 Jewish men in Galilee. And after that story in Mark 6, it says the disciples did not understand about the loaves. Well, this Syrophoenician woman sure seems to understand about the loaves. And this is a watershed moment in Mark's gospel because guess what's going to happen now just a chapter later in chapter 8? It's the feeding of the 4,000. Is it the same kind of story just told twice for some reason? No. What is the difference in these two stories other than a thousand people? The location. The feeding of the 4,000 will feed 4,000 Gentiles outside of Israel. And I just have a suspicion that maybe this woman's faith prompted that miracle. You know, someday in heaven, I'm going to ask. We'll see if we get to find out. But for now, we notice that Jesus commends her for her faith and delivers her daughter He says, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left. And so here's the other thing that we learn from this story. Faith in Jesus leads to courage and humility. 
Faith in Jesus leads to courage and humility. This woman shows both. She has the courage to come to Jesus when there's a list of reasons why she can't. And she has the humility of heart to ask for His help. Courage and humility. She has the courage to stand in there in this conversation and contend for her daughter and the humility to be happy with crumbs. So for us, for you, is your faith leading you to greater courage and humility? Because God will take you there. He wants to take you there. He'll teach you. And we can learn a lot from this Syrophoenician woman and even more from the Lord that she encounters. In our closing minutes, let's go to story number two. We'll be a little bit more brief with this one. Let's go back to our map, first of all. Here's where Jesus goes next. Verse 31 says that after Tyre, he went up to Sidon, then down the Sea of Galilee, or down to the sea, and over to the Decapolis region. The Decapolis. This is a mission trip to the Gentiles. This whole circuit that you're seeing. This is the 120 miles. And in this part of the story now, Jesus lands here in the Decapolis. This confederation of ten cities. And you guessed it, they're not Jewish. And while he's there, a man is brought to him who's deaf, probably from birth, and for that reason, he cannot speak coherently. And the friends of this man beg for his healing. And what follows is one of the more unusual stories of healing in the Gospels. Because usually Jesus just says the word. Maybe places a hand on the man or the woman. But here, he puts his fingers in the man's ears. And then he spits on his fingers and dabs the man's tongue. You know, you read it, it's strange. But then you think about it, and and the man that he's interacting with is deaf. So Jesus cannot communicate in words to him what he's about to do. So he's showing him, I am going to unstop your ears and loosen your tongue. And we see how intense this was for Jesus. It says he looks up to heaven, this posture of prayer, and he sighs deeply as he says in his mother tongue, Aramaic, Ephatha, open up. Then verse 35. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Literally, the Greek says for that middle phrase, the chain of his tongue was broken. That's what it says in Greek. The chain of his tongue was broken. And so from this story, Jesus sets us free from our affliction. Jesus sets us free from our affliction. As we sang earlier with John and the team, he's a chain breaker. He's our liberator. And I don't know what may be afflicting you this morning, but the Lord knows. And he says there's nothing on earth that can hold you in bondage. No fear, no stronghold, no affliction is greater than His love and care for you. The last time I saw Rob, it's just a few days, 
before he died. He was on the hospital bed there from hospice care in his living room. And here's the last Bible passage that I ever read to Rob. It was 1 Corinthians 13. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Even as his eyes are closing, he's tired. Death had no claim on Rob Asabi because Rob knew the liberating power of Jesus. In this story, it says the people who saw this miracle happen were amazed beyond all measure. It's the only time that phrase is used to that degree. And this coming from Gentiles. They said in the concluding lines of the passage, Jesus has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. It's the last line of the story and it brings home our final lesson. That Jesus sets us free from our spiritual deafness. Jesus sets us free from spiritual deafness. He is looking for those who are willing to hear. This man wanted to hear. The Syrophoenician woman wanted to hear. How about you? How about me? Have we acknowledged the deafness of our hearts apart from Christ? Have we let Him put His finger to our ear and loosen our tongue? My brothers and sisters, those of you who are here or listening, just exploring, you can say to him today, Lord, let me hear your voice. Lord, open my ears so I can listen. Loosen my tongue so I can speak your praise. May these words be true in our life. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Let's bow our heads and pray together. O oh God, our Father and gracious Redeemer, we thank you for your victory over sin and death, over affliction and spiritual deafness. And we thank You, Lord, for setting us free to know and follow after You. Lord, this morning we ask that You would give us the gift of courage and humility and a faith that is deep and wide as the ocean and shares Your love with the world. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.